0: Hello and welcome to this month's edition of Deep Roots, the Oak Hill podcast where we have conversations about theology and ministry. My name is Tim Ward uh, and I have the privilege of being one of the lecturers here. I teach hermeneutics, that's biblical interpretation and word ministry.
1: My name is Eric Ortland. I teach Hebrew and Old Testament. We are very happy to be joined today by our friend and colleague Andrew. Andrew, could you introduce yourself? Tell us what you do at Oak Hill, what you were doing before you were... Before Oak Hill, a little bit about yourself.
2: Sure, I'm I'm Andrew Nichols, uh, married to Hillary. We've been here at Oak Hill for four years. I'm Director of Pastoral Care, which means that I teach pastoral ministry and I oversee the pastoral care for the college as a whole. Before coming here, I was in pastoral ministry for uh, 15 years in some different churches down in southwest London, um, an Anglican church and a couple of independent churches, interestingly, mm-hmm. which were church plants from the Anglican church.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Andrew... Um, we always begin this now by simply saying, tell us what we're going to talk about.
2: Okay, well, here's the thing that has struck me that it would be really helpful to talk about. And it's, a, it's an idea that's been growing in me in part as a reaction to some of the really huge stuff that the church has been working through um, to do with really big headlines around culture, abuses of power... Um, styles of leadership and that kind of thing um, so that's in the background but it's, it's not that that I want to, to talk about it's the idea that um, one of the reasons why that kind of stuff happens may be because it's relatively hard for little things to go wrong in a way that's healthy uh, I think in part even to put the sentence like that raises the issue in our minds that how could something going wrong being healthy be a healthy thing Surely a healthy church, people, stuff doesn't go wrong. Hmm. And I think that's exactly what I, I, I want to I invite us to think about and challenge because I think in a healthy church, little stuff needs to be going wrong all the time. Hmm. Um, and I don't just mean the kind of the text stuff, the PowerPoint slides changing at just the wrong time if you were going to sing the next verse at the right time. Um, and obviously there's a point in which that kind of thing can just be irritating and unhelpful and it's great to continue to work at it. But I think I mean things like um, this week has been a really tough week in our marriage. And it's okay for, for me to be able to say that to somebody. Mm. Or, um, I really found last week's sermon difficult to hear. Mm. Um, and I don't know if you, if you meant that. Um, and not because I, of my hearing aids. Yeah, my that's, that's, right, that's, pay right, pay that's right. That's right. That's right. It, it landed badly with me. And it seems to me that, and perhaps particularly because of the kind of huge sensitivity that we now have about how well our leaders are doing. And those are such important questions to ask. And nothing in me is saying, let's not talk about that. Mm. But um, it means that any kind of discussion in that area feels like it's pushing that button. And we need to try and find a way to say, yeah, that wasn't great. And um, I'm sorry. And thank you for pointing it out. And um, I need you. And I hope we can do better next time. Mm. That without, kind of,
1: without it mushrooming into a major moral that, issue or something. That's right.
2: It's... Um, um, mm. I at a training session by Lisa Oakley recently, and she's done a lot of work in spiritual abuse. And I found this a very helpful model. She describes four, four circles to describe the kinds of things that are going on in church. The first one is healthy. The next one is unhelpful. The next one is unhealthy. And the last one is abusive. And she was saying um, that uh, health is great. Hopefully we know what that is. The next one is uh, unhelpful. And that happens all the time. That's a normal thing. It's a valuable thing, in part, because to recognise what's going wrong helps you come back to healthy and avoid being unhealthy. Um, But even if it's unhealthy, uh, it's really important to have a discussion about it, to recognise it, and put it right. And and those both become important ways in which you don't you don't get the um, the kind of the the drift towards things which can only be addressed um, because they become a crisis.
1: Would it be important to set some boundaries here, in, in, in terms of um, all the examples you listed were relatively small? Yeah, I found last week's sermon really difficult to listen to, as opposed to I just don't like the preaching in this church or something like yeah. that. W- would that be a help? Would that be helpful to say up front that, that w- what we're talking about is our you know small bumps in the road along the way, the uh, the addressing of which can really help culture of a
2: church. Yes, exactly. So I think the motivation in raising them needs to be positive. Mm. You know, I'm not trying to do you down. Um, I, I care about church. I assume we care about church together. We want to, you know, let's have a constructive conversation about these things. Uh, let me come at it from a slightly different angle maybe. Um, uh, a friend of mine talks about the car park conversion that Christians experience on their way into church every week. They've had a nightmare argument at home. They park the car. I mean, assuming you have a car park, they, they get off the bus, whatever it is, um, and, as they come into the door, they're all smiles. everybody behaves. The answer to the question, "How are you is i'm fine not we've just had a blazing row um I'm not ready to listen to anything kind of thing and uh, I think the kinds of issues i'm I'm raising here are the same kinds of issues. Can I come to church if i've had a really bad morning is the Is this a church that connects with people who are finding life difficult um and um relatedly sometimes there's a there's a there's a prayer which is incredibly well meaning um, lord please help us to leave behind the troubles of the week that we can focus on you and a big part of me this is not my original idea a big part of me wants to change that say so let's never pray that for a time anyway let's pray dear lord please help us to bring all the things of the week in to hear your grace to have help from your people and to make sure that everything that we're doing here in church is is connecting with with life as I'm really living it and I'm going to be going out there to live it again mm-hmm. tomorrow and I, my children are still going to be my children my wife is still going to be my wife and my, my challenges at work are still going to be my challenges at work my experience of redundancy and all those things that are asking huge questions of me during the week need to be part of my engagement in relationships in church
0: wow. it, let me just check I'm hearing you right I think I'm hearing you talk about two related things yeah. but it's slightly different one of them is um, a, a culture, they're both to do with a culture in a particular church family mm. One is a culture where members of the church, people who come Have permission to say constructively critical things About the ministry they're receiving from their elders and their leaders Yeah And the other one is a culture in which everybody in the church family Perhaps particularly the elders and leaders oh. are Have again, have permission to be honest about how things are going in their lives when they're not going well. Yes. Have I got it right? It's those, yes. those two kinds of things.
2: Yes, absolutely. And I think I think they're linked because elders and leaders need to lead in this. You know, it, it it's often said, I think, rightly, that in a sense a pastor needs to be the chief repenter. Yep. And that doesn't just mean that they say louder than he'd be else, I'm a terrible sinner. It means that we hear a little bit of the detail in their life that that puts colour and, and shade into What aspect of that is in their life right now?
0: I can't help myself having a... Clearly I'm with you. You're describing the kind of church that I would always want to be part of and if I'm leading I will always want to lead. Mm. Um, I mean, this is slightly provocative, but just to kind of crack one of those open a little bit. I've been a pastor for a number of years, uh, as you have. Um, Critical emails come in pretty regularly all sorts of flack is coming your way all the time. Uh, I, no, not it, to me. No, yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I, I heard you were the perfect one. <laughs> um, I, I could imagine a pastor hearing that around, a, let's create let's foster and create a culture where criticism is encouraged of, of, of the ministry. Right. A initial reaction being, oh, my goodness, I seem to spend most of my time wanting to stop a culture of criticism because yeah. I just get flack thrown yeah. at me all the time. Yeah. Now, I, look, I... I I know you're not necessarily talking about that, but could you just sort of tease that out a little bit? So, what are you talking about? What are you not talking about? I'm I'm
2: sure that part of what a good leader has to do sometimes is is be willing to identify um, a, a divisive spirit, a person who is um, pushing for their own agenda, a person who. Um, the effect of their input keeps being um, damaging rather than constructive. Uh, we have to be willing to identify those people. The Bible uses different words for mm-hmm. them. Um, you know, avoid divisive people. Don't don't get involved in gossip, that kind of conversation. And and even you know, somewhere down that path, people turn into wolves, and and those who want to tear church, churches apart and so on, and really just have their own agenda run all the time. So yes, this is not saying. Any criticism, any that I can possibly think of is instantly mm. you know, given mm. um, infallible status, but it's saying that um, the leaders are articulating and demonstrating that they know they um, are people who are not only capable of making a mistake in theory but are making mistakes all the time. We can't avoid that. We're yeah. not in the new creation yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. We, we remain sinful people, and that comes out, in the words that I say, in a church meeting. It comes out in the um, conversation that was overheard and shouldn't have been. It comes out in all kinds of ways and um, uh, a little bit of detail that that, that you can't share everything. And and one of the things we need to grow in wisdom is what are the kinds of things you can share? But a a little bit of detail so that it's evident that that people who are leading, people on the stage, people behind a microphone are are willing to lead in this Mm -hmm. respect.
1: One thing that can help develop that different culture is a kind of dual expectation that it's okay for the other person to say, you know, my my brother or sister, I love you. That's really not a helpful thing to say for these reasons. Maybe they're reasons you don't know, maybe they yes. do know, but yeah. here's why, you know, I, I can't take that on board. And that's okay to say as well.
2: Yeah. I think I think that's absolutely right. Um, let, let, let me mention a, another possible benefit. Hmm. And it's it's something that we've we've talked a little bit about. Um, I teach pastoral ministry, but I occasionally guest in other modules, and uh, it's very grand, isn't it? But um, I I I teach in the ethics module on the issue of abortion, Um, and one of the things that I say there uh, I share my conviction that every church member should know some basic stats about abortion, and one of those is that one in three women in England and Wales has an abortion. One in three, one in thirty. Now, many of the women in our churches must therefore have had an abortion. It may not be close to 1 in 3. It may be much closer than we we can know. But where is the context in church where someone with that in their past, wow. knowing something of what many people in the church might think about the wrongness of an abortion, where is the place that that could ever be talked about? And one of the one of the problems with church looking quite polished on it and the people of church looking really quite okay mm. is that someone like that is either going to believe that they don't belong in the church or that this bit of their life doesn't belong in church and so they become, in some sense, split. You know, there are places where they, they're, they're real but they're not in church. And so um, one of the things we discuss in that lecture with those students is um, if, if no one in the church can know that you've occasionally lost it with your children, how can someone share that they've done something that they, in their own minds, feels imaginably, unimaginably
1: worse than that. Mm. It seems like there are two aspects to this. Tim, tell me what you think as, as well. Both repeatedly, emphatically saying from the front, from the pastor and other leaders, this is the kind of church we are, inviting this sort of openness. Yep. The two aspects you mentioned, Tim, the personal openness and the willingness to say, this isn't helpful. Mm. And then both the leadership and individuals in the church taking the plunge and being vulnerable and saying, this is who I really am. And and it's been my experience that can have a wonderful sort of sparking effect where other people could say, oh, I can. Just saying that may not be enough for a lot of people in the church to really start to open up. But when they see someone else doing it, it's much easier to follow Does that seem right to you?
2: Absolutely seems right to me. And And I've noticed that and I've felt it and I've enjoyed it and I've relaxed and I've changed the way I speak when i'm when i'm led in those kinds of ways i've experienced that and it's a wonderful thing i've also experienced it in a in a personal conversation you know it doesn't have to be all up front all on a stage but if if when you have those moments with a leader you find that they are wanting to be honest with you about what's hard in their life um it's transformative then in, in the way you you open up to them and again there's a there's a carefulness about who and how you share um but um, and and which particular issues you share with which particular people, and there are all kinds of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. But uh, that that principle that um, the pastor clearly knows they're not perfect. The leader, the leaders, the elders um, are not obviously trying to uh, live a, a, a polished life in front of people, but a but a real life that needs grace. Because th- this is the this is this is what we then open ourselves to enjoy. It seems to me is is the grace of God that he shares with us and we then learn to share with one another. It transforms, it deepens our relationships. We mm. we grow in our sense of, of love. Um one of the one of the most explicit verses that deals with this kind of territory in James chapter five, which talks about confessing our sins to one another that he may be healed. It's a it's a controverted verse for all kinds of reasons. But um within the context of the letter as a whole, the letter as a whole is returning to this issue of double mindedness and the idea of living mm. with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, one yeah, foot yeah. in in looking to God for blessing, and one for in looking to other things for blessing, and and that, and um, and then as he draws towards a conclusion in, in chapter five, it seems to me he's saying, um, "Do you know this is true of you? If it is, tell somebody, confess your sins, that you may be healed. That you, and and um, by implication, others in the church, the church grows out of our incipient double mindedness um, in our understanding of grace, because." Um, the wonderful thing about james is alongside these very pungent commands to stop being double minded is the promise of the grace of god who draws close to us mm-hmm. and amazingly draws close to us the more real we are with him about our sin the closer he yep. he comes to us and that's extraordinary and wonderful to to experience
0: i mean it's a wonderful picture of church life you're painting and when i mean anybody who's experienced it or I mean, a church will always be imperfect on this, but if if you're a member of a church or a leader of a church where this is what folks are aiming at, you're, you're absolutely right, that's a wonderful thing. I'd just like to dig in a little bit yeah. uh, or encourage you to help, encourage you to dig yeah. in for us. Yeah. Um, I doubt that anybody hearing this kind of thing is going to think, no, that this is not describing the kind of church I ever want to lead or be a member of. We're describing a church that virtually everybody's going to find attractive. Mm. So... My hunch is if this doesn't happen, it, it probably won't be because the leaders in theory don't want it. Right. There, there may be some who just, n- no, no, I'm never going to, like no. But probably most people hearing it would think, yes, I want to belong to or lead a church that's like this, which must mean, I think, that when it doesn't happen, yeah. it won't be for lack of intention. It'll be because there are barriers yeah. and blockages that we are mm-hmm. blind to. Yeah. What might some of those be?
2: Well, I've, um, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think you're right that most people do, and yet sometimes we are we are holding incompatible ideals. So, um, the ideal of strong leadership, or even or even just leadership, okay, kind of implies a kind of rightness, you know that that um, and the idea, which is a very biblical idea, that Um, the the pastor, the elders, the senior leaders in any ministry within the youth work or women's ministry, wherever it might be, are an example to the flock.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, That is critically important, obviously. Um, Follow me as I follow Christ. Exactly. That doesn't mean that um, the only things in which I get to set an example are things that I do right. Because watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them if you do you'll save your birth and your hearers but people are to see your progress and that implies that they see that you're not there yet so leading for timothy as paul instructed timothy was to allow people to see him grow grow in understanding in doctrine and grow in the godliness of his life and again that so i think i think there's that there's that barrier which is the idea that um being an example means um i've arrived when really it means I need to let people see that I'm that I'm in need of growth. Okay, yeah. And um, I think um, experiences of trying and it going badly are another barrier. Uh-huh. So if you try to be vulnerable, and there's some person in the congregation who takes advantage of it, or who reminds you of it, or who um, sort of has an aha moment with you, I knew you were, you know. Um, I mean some of us have been there it's a very painful wound and we need the grace of God to heal that and enable us to try again with somebody else in a different context rather than just to scar up and cover over Mm. Um, and I think um, um, well God is there to help us in just that way I think um, to um, to be the safe place that others were not. We can go to him as our refuge, go to him with our sin, um, crawl back under his wings, know the safety of his love, and then come out again and have another go at trying to, wow. to, to leave the church.
0: One of the things that I really felt moving out of being a pastor into theological education was that... I mean, I mean, it's kind of obvious, but I, I really felt it su- suddenly now being a theological educator and going to work and coming home from work meant that work was really work and life was really life. Mm. Whereas, of course, for many people when they're uh, in church ministry, maybe pastoring a church, work and life are completely interlinked mm. um, and you can't entirely tease them apart. Mm. And I think, sort of looking back, if, it, 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 as it were, if someone criticises something I do here at college, oh, oh, that was a bad lecture, or that was a bad decision you made and that responsibility you were given, that'll hurt a little bit. But mm. I can basically go home and say, well, I have my life, and that doesn't affect it. Sure. Any, any criticism of me or perceived shortcoming in me, whether it be as a Christian or a pastor, when I'm a pastor – Suddenly, now you criticize one part. You just crit- you're just sticking a knife into. You can't. You can't the, uh, contain it into the whole of me. Yeah, and and if I'm someone who I, I'm sure I am who would just hold a ridiculous level of pride in being perceived by others to be good at my job. Yeah, if my job and my life are utterly combined.
2: Yeah, that's got to be right, and so. I mean, flip it flip it around, pastors, therefore have an acute awareness of their need of God as the place to take these things, yeah, and actually um if we can learn to do that more and more, um learn to find our identity, and you know this is these are not small words, and it is an area in which we need to grow and i and I felt exactly the same thing as you by the way, um giving right. up being a pastor and okay. coming here yeah, yeah. um uh one of the ways in which we need to grow, I think, is is our ability to take these things to the Lord. Mm. And when Christ calls us to follow him and take up our cross, part of what that means, take up a cross daily, in one of the Gospels, um, means a willingness to die for mm. him. Mm. And therefore we must go to him for the grace to die for him each day. Mm. And do I do that consistently? No. No. Um, but but the Lord, in His kindness, brings opportunities to me to have another go at dying for him in a day and I, and I think one of the ways in which we do that is precisely this kind of um um i'm i'm i can't do this i'm not I'm not up to this uh i to I want to give up very early on in my ministry I, I was having a little moan at somebody um about being generally rubbish um and he heard quite accurately a note in me of defeat and give up he said no come on brother we don't we don't give up and what he i mean he was quite right that's what i needed to hear um we we keep going back to christ to find our hope our forgiveness our strength and the end that's part of the dynamic out of which we minister to others Mm. so criticism gets woven in and the 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 handling of things as a pastor can leave me feeling no one is like me but it can also be the opportunity in which i discover the very things and ways in which we are like everybody else
0: is it so? Can I just have one more go at this? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Is, is this where the that this well the well-worn territory of the professionalization of ministry does this does this play in here? Because I think you, I mean, again just autobiographically, but I doubt I'm unique in this. I you know I I'm going to I am the kind of person who's always going to cherish the thought that whatever working life I would have chosen, I would be really competent at it and everybody around me would be grateful that although he's not perfect he's
1: everyone been, would recognize he's
2: you. really com
0: whatever line <laughs> yeah. of work i would have been competent at
2: yeah, it i'd love to hear more about what some of those lines of work might have been to him <laughs> <but, but, yeah. laughs> well yeah,
0: the world of professional golf lost out um <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that was a joke by the way was, i'm a rubbish i was thinking bob dylan impersonator yeah, but, no, <laughs> you know, but whatever Yeah, he's possibly the one professional singer who sings worse than I do. um, um, And for as long as I cherish that somehow in my mind, I'm always going to think, I'm always going to act like there will be some aspect of being a pastor, being in church leadership, which has got to be some area where even though I don't want this psychologically, I'm going to treat it like I'm a professional, this is a job I do, I am pretty good at it, I think, and I, you all have got to agree that I'm really good at this. Mm. And I'm just going to sort of ring-fence that. Yeah. And I may in the pulpit give myself as an example of failing in godliness, mm-hmm. but actually…
1: But I have this over here. I have this over I'm here. I'm still yeah. good at that.
0: And if you yeah. all in the church could see this, you would, you'd you'd be right. grateful for what a great pastor I wrote. Right. Th- okay. And as long as I'm yeah. ring-fencing that, I'm probably not doing what you're… Recommending is, it, is this just uh, me? Is this ringing any bells? Uh, it is
1: oh. ringing bells. Yeah. Is 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 you know I is one part of being a pastor resolving to do it, resolving to die daily to the thought that I will be perceived as good at my job, and I just have to accept and resign myself to not being a professional. In the second Corinthians, Paul will talk about you know the mockery, the shame, the insults. Yeah. No one looks at any part of Paul this magnificently talented relational man and says, oh, that is so magnificent. You are so talented. Yeah. He is an object of mm-hmm. mockery. And mm-hmm. just saying, and T- Tim, as you very well articulated, not having any part of your life you can hold on to where mm-hmm. everyone says, oh, they're great at that, even if you are. Yeah. I'm sure that's
2: right. I know the tendency to, to to think, oh, but at least I have this or I have that. And I might do it in a kind of diary thing, you know, at least um, th- th- this... This went really badly, but at least I've got this other this other thing coming up or whatever it is. And uh, um and I guess as I grow more as a Christian, my instinct will be to say more at, at least I have Jesus mm-hmm. and, and he is enough. Mm-hmm. Um uh he, he is the place I go to for that kind of sense of comfort or reassurance, or you know, that if I could grow in that, um that would be that'd be a lovely thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Andrew, two questions for you. Yeah, uh, it, I was thinking as uh, Tim as you were talking um, that maybe one help in all of this is recognizing and, and accepting that most of us will really not be good at this. Yeah, we're going to be clumsy. We'll keep trying anyway yeah. to be vulnerable. Yeah. But let, let's say someone listening is a new pastor in a church, and and the church has a church culture very tightly regimented, controlled, ratcheted down. Vulnerability was punished. Yeah. What can the pastor do with their staff and with their congregation Mm. to help change that culture slowly but perceptibly? Second question. Mm. That's
0: a a great question.
1: That's a great question. Hopefully
2: we can forget it while we listen to the second question. Well, well. well, (laughs) uh, I don't know.
1: Christians come in two types, I think. Tim Keller talks in his book on the prodigal son. You have the prodigals and you have the older brothers who get straight A's and never, you know. Um, Paul says in Galatians 2, we're not Gentile sinners. He was an upright, upstanding man. Yeah. What about the people, the the sincere born-again Christians in the church, who when they hear someone get really vulnerable, um, without meaning to, Mm. but in a way that damages the other person, become morally outraged, and they feel it's their part as a Christian to persecute a person who's being vulnerable, and they can't can't see that that's a violation of grace. We all know those people who are just such admirable Christians. Well, at least I do. Such admirable Christians. Uh, and you can see God's blessing on, th- on their lives in many ways. But I just sort of think I would never confess a sin to you. I I, I know it would not be okay. I I we can be friends, but but I, I can't quite be that vulnerable. Probably every church has older brothers like that. Yeah. What do you do as a church starts to open up and someone reacts badly, hmm. but with the best of intentions?
2: That is a magnificent question. And I have indeed forgotten the first question. So so <laughs> We'll go so, with the second let's question. With the first. Second, second question. First. <laughs> um, I wasn't trying to forget it, it just struck me as difficult. And then I was listening so carefully to the second. I, yeah, I mean I, I am an older brother, um, aren't I? From I, mean, I Am actually in as a matter of fact. But um uh the the ability to focus on something other than the extraordinary grace of God. Um arguably he had a point um that uh his day-to-day relationship with his father had been more about doing the right thing and he had been unaware of how lavish the father's love for him was and in the story as jesus tells it in order to explain why he spends so much time with tax collectors and sinners who desperately need forgiveness um you know it is it is to wake us up to um the the, the lavish, extraordinary grace of God that we might enjoy it more, that we might come in and share the party with him. And I suppose, therefore, that what does a pastor do um make a point of uh, drawing attention to the grace of God over and over and over again? And occasionally um come alongside an older brother and say, how um, are you enjoying the party? In in a kind of a way. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, not as tritely as that, but in a in a serious, meaningful conversation about things that are on this particular older brother's heart. Mm. Um, hear them well and invite them in mm. to the party. Mm. Um perhaps we need to talk about a particular example to think about what that was that would be like, but I suppose I'm thinking of a
1: Because that's exactly what Jesus does. He's inviting the older brother yeah. to yeah, the yeah, partner. Yeah. 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 To 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 the party. The father yeah. in the parable. Sorry. Yeah. But sorry, go ahead, Andrew.
2: Yeah. Um and, and you never quite get to know in the parable whether they mm. whether they come in. And it's that's true um the fact that such people are around is not a surprise and we can't write the script for the end for much as we might like to but um you know that story is a very powerful demonstration of the direction in which God wants to lead his people so we pray and we ask the great shepherd to keep um uh, drawing people to his grace and yeah we're not very good at it but um he's pretty good at it
1: and, uh, yeah, in the end, he'll have to pastor his people. I'll quote Tim Keller again. Keller will say, you need to do apologetics with Christians from the public, yes. which I think is true. It may be helpful for pastors to remember, you're, you're, you're preaching to younger brothers and older brothers. Hmm. You're preaching to Pharisees, born-again Christians, who have utterly clear consciences about themselves. And when they hear about the unmerited grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God, they think, oh, that, yeah, that's great. I Okay, could we talk about something else, you know? Yeah. but how how, how did, i would be interested to hear from you as well tim let's say a church was schooled in very regimented non-vulnerability as godliness what could a pastor do with their staff and and with the body as a whole to help incrementally but but noticeably change the culture to a gospel
2: culture i'd also love to know what, let me give an example that i've sometimes used um a couple of times um I helped to write this this course, which is based on wonderful stuff I'd learned from from um, David Powlison and others, and uh, he, he helped us write this course called Real Change, which lots of people have, have, have used it and, and enjoyed. And occasionally, because I my name's on the cover, I get invited to, to go through the material over a church weekend. And um, in, in setting those weekends up, I've sort of tried to say, uh, I'm going to get people talking in small groups about stuff that isn't going great in their lives. And sometimes in that conversation, there's a, there's a nervousness about, I'm not sure how well that's going to go. I'm not sure we do that particularly. Um, and because I've done it a few times now, I'm able to be quite reassuring and say, look, I, th- I think it'll be fine. And, and what I do at the beginning of that, quite apart from um, uh, helping people see the promises of God that secure our safety and that promise his work in our lives, I just tell a story of my own stupidity. I, I talk about um, uh, taking out the recycling, and I've I've done this at college as well. I've, I'm carrying a recycling crate. The lemonade bottle uh, falls I, off.
0: I've heard it three times, and I'm looking forward to the fourth time. Next okay, day. it's a great story. <laughs> um,
2: and I just find myself um, shouting at the lemonade bottle falling on the floor, and um, and getting really annoyed. And I'm also conscious that I'm getting annoyed at. And whoever put it on the crate, the fact that I'm the only person that ever ever empties the recycling, and that bottles don't stay where I put them first time. and actually that that gets to a level of stupidity because I, I realize that I have I am treating myself as if I am the kind of being that should be able to do whatever they want to do, however ridiculous the attempt, first time. and that that really is to take God on and say so I want to be like you. He's the only one who gets to do exactly what he wants first time. And I am not. And in his great kindness, he won't let me become that kind of creature because then I would think I was God. And just the falling lemonade bottle says, you are subject to the laws of nature, I am not. You are an idiot for getting... Now, I say that to myself. I don't think God speaks me like that except full of love. Um, (laughs) uh, And it turns out, if you share that example with a room full of people you've never met, they've all got an example of exactly the same thing in their own lives. And even if this is a church which hasn't been into this kind of conversation at all, because I'm laughing at myself and they're laughing at me, and quite right too, and because it's it's a it's a the kind of thirty seconds that we all recognise for our own lives, and we're all happy to say yes, this all happens to all of us, but then to, to be able to say actually, in this kind of very ordinary way, which is unthreatening, we're doing something very significant in our relationship with God, mm-hmm. and we need His grace for that relationship. Um, it. It's a, The weekend starts well, and and people buzz with their kind of enjoyment of being able to have these conversations about real life. So that's one of the ways that I would say, that's an example of vulnerability, which both feels trivial Mm. and significant.
1: Tim, what would you do if you were a pastor of a church and you you wanted to change the culture? What sorts of things would you do? I
0: I agree with what Andrew says. I think I'd want to start being open. About my own, I mean, you're talking about my, about my own spiritual failings, about yeah. how,
1: how,
0: being very clear, I, I'm a spiritual work in progress. You know, we, mm. live with me as, my, as I mm. progress. I hope I'll be a more godly pastor for you than I am mm. in 10 years' time. Mm. Fine. And, that, and I think that's right. I mean, if a church is really kind of bottomed down, it can be quite a step from, okay, shall we just now all start being open about our struggles yes. in life and our spiritual failings? You want to get there. One thing that occurs to me, and as you mentioned, the staff team. Maybe if the if the church is big enough to have a staff team, one place one may, place it starts maybe is just being openly relaxed about things going wrong in the life of the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, Andrew, right at the beginning, you mentioned you know, or well, the powerpoints not working for the yeah. songs or whatever it is. Yeah, and that wasn't, and you wanted to talk about deeper things than that, and that's of course right. But maybe one step towards people being open with what's going wrong personally in their lives and in their life in Christ could just be we are wonderfully relaxed and forgiving about when someone messes up. You know, it's that, you know, if if I'm the pastor at the front leading the service and the the person running the AV didn't show up 30 minutes before the service, but five minutes before the service. And this service is going to look incompetent to many of the people there. And and I'm my, and what's going on in my head is, consciously or subconsciously, I'm going to look incompetent, because he fouled up, because he couldn't get out of bed in time. Mm-hmm. What, how do I then respond? I it, it's in those it's it's in those moments. I I hope I've been shaped a bit in this by the example I had where. where in the past i was a junior member a junior member of a staff team of a church and 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 the senior leader of the church at least as i experienced him was exemplary in this he seemed to me to be omnicompetent and he would delegate jobs to people of the staff team and you would do the job as best you could and probably there were times people did jobs which he could have done better himself and my experience was that he when things went well he publicly praised the person who'd led the ministry. When things didn't go so well, he took the flack publicly. Mm. That was that was my experience of of serving with him. Mm. And and just that openness of it didn't go well. There you go. Mm. God's sovereign. We're mm. we're not omnicompetent. Mm. Just a final example. I was hearing recently of someone who leads the music ministry in a particular church, and this person is a massively talented mm hyper-trained musician, could be a professional musician, uh, you know, and they spend a lot of their time with a bunch of amateurs who show up late. And by the description that someone who's in the, in the music team here gave me of this ministry was, he sets really high standards, really pushes people to be the best they can, and then when they foul up a bit and don't quite play it right in the service itself, he's totally relaxed. And laughs with them about the mistakes afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be an example of, let's be the best we can for the Lord. But I just want to set an example of, yeah. I don't have such an inflated view of myself that if you like, make me look bad, I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care. And mm-hmm. God is God has a wonderful track record of doing great things out of foul ups. Yeah, And I think I might just start, when things go wrong in the church, we're just gonna laugh and we'll pray that God will bring good things out of it.
1: I hope that no one listening thinks we're just talking about applying the gospel. We are talking about that, but it's something more. It's 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 a pervasive atmosphere that colors every service and every relationship yeah. that is the atmosphere of, of heaven itself and the heart of God for his people yeah. um, and it's so much more than just you know applying God's grace. Or or something like that. It, it is, it is, culture is the sort of thing that is everywhere present. And we feel and taste and smell it all the time, but it's very difficult to define precisely or quite put your finger on, but it's always there. Yeah. And small but incremental changes can just have massive ripple yeah. effects in terms of what it's like to be in the building with these other Christians. Yes. In in the most beautiful ways.
2: Exactly right. And and that's a really helpful thing to hold on to. I think perhaps I have. But he's partially remembered your first question, which is about, you know, what if what if church has been really um mm. jacketed into invulnerability? And um, I think one 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 thing to seek God's grace to avoid is to be cross with them. You know, if you're trying to lead them into something different, it's incredibly easy to get that way. But as you just said, Tim, you know, the, the kind of irritation that maybe is closely related to a sense of my failure as a pastor – than than the genuine desire to, you know that um uh whole streams of psychotherapy are built on the idea that we are simply the product of our upbringing and in and it's easy in 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 wanting to disagree with that um, to lose the idea that um, a very large part of who we are is a result of our upbringing and the way we were taught to live and what we thought mm. church should be and how you're supposed to get converted on the car in the car park on your way into church and um, it takes a lot. If someone's lived in that kind of church for 30 years, they're not suddenly going to, mm. they, they might see something they like about a pastor who speaks differently, um, but they might not have a clue how that would have any connection with the way they answer the question when they arrive in church. You've got to be willing to be in it for the long haul, and you've genuinely got to um, seek the grace of God to respond um, with that, that servant heart however far you get in however long
1: you've been there. Mm. And you may need, need to be willing to lose church members who don't want to go to church that has that kind of vulnerability. Yeah. Do not want that.
0: Yeah. This has been a tremendous discussion. I've lost track of the time. I'm just going to ask John, our tech guy. John, how long have we been going for? 40 minutes. 40 minutes. So we got a couple more minutes if we need them. <laughs> that, <laughs> for, for folks watching and listening, that was just a little... Breaking the fourth floor <laughs> <war> behind <laughs> yeah. what's going on the behind, tent the, being done brilliantly the, the, behind the The experts camera. behind the camera. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. I said John. It's actually John and John. John and Jonathan. But anyway, Andrew, any last couple of minutes, any ways in which you'd just like to land this for us, things we have to address? Do you think we need to, ways of grounding it?
2: Well, one way would be, I suppose, to, to um, look for a, a lemonade bottle in your own life, if I can put it that way. Um, what, what's the thing that you're going to find yourself doing at the next twenty-four hours, thirty-six hours, forty-eight hours that that is just a normal part of life? But if you were able to stand back and stop and think about, it, you'd say, "Hmm, um, I, that's that's odd in someone who thinks what I think about the sovereignty of God or the grace of God or whatever it is." You know that yeah. that doesn't really make sense. So find a little thing like that that um, you could um, share with one other person. You mean um, that
0: just reveals just the de- reveals the depth of ongoing sin in our lives.
2: Or? Yeah, so I wasn't really going for depth. I suppose I was just going for the existence of. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know yeah, that, yeah. that that um in in i if you were to say to me um what what does sin look like in your life at the moment that I'd have something to say. Yeah. And I think to know what that is and and to talk about that with the Lord and then to find one other person to begin talking that about that that would be a really good way to begin landing this. Um and see how it feels. And uh, you know, choose that person well, but then mm-hmm.
0: choose someone else and see how that goes.
1: Thank you so much for being with us, Andrew. This has been superb.
0: Great to talk to you guys. pleasure. powerful person. things. Yeah. Actually, I tell you what, I don't think we've ended with prayer before, but it feels like that would be really good to do. Yeah. I, I need prayer on this. We'll do yeah. folks listening, watching in will. Andrew, could you pray for us all,
2: yeah. please? Yeah. yeah, love to. I dear Father, thank you so much for your grace, which is so much more wonderful than we are usually aware of. And thank you for those moments when you break in and you surprise us again with the reality that your arms are wide open, you've you've run out of the house towards us, you've um, prepared an amazing party for us, that that being recipients of your grace, being people that you love, um, is just so much more wonderful than we imagined. And um, I pray we'd be willing to um, see um, something of the sin in our own lives. Um, I pray that you'd, you'd reveal that to us in order that we may find your grace more more lovely and uh, more sweet and more precious and more worth sharing um, so that we might be willing to speak about the things in our own lives, not because we're great examples of knowing what's wrong in our own lives but because we have a great God who's just so kind to us. And I pray that um, uh, this um, kind of way of thinking and, and loving and, and so on could um, bear root in my heart and in Tim's heart and in Eric's heart and in all our hearts because... Uh, we need you and we need to be willing to be people who, who say that we need you because we know it's true and um, we're aware of that need um, in every moment not just for occasional big things but um, in every moment of our lives thank you that um, uh, this is exactly the work that your spirit is, is at work to do and that we have every hope that tomorrow we'll have progressed in these things more than we have today in Jesus
0: name we pray Amen Amen, Amen.